from St. Louis Public Radio. This is St. Louis on the Air. We're seeing a lot of people um, set up interviews and then not show up. About 60% of them. So we're not getting people through the door. We just can't find any place where she can go. You know, normally we we absolutely could take on new clients. Um, our current reimbursement rate from the state funds us at a level where we should be paying $12.39 to our staff. I don't know who, who needs to sound the alarm and say how much of a precious entity this is. There's no dollar value on that. I'm Sarah Fenske. Service providers who care for people with developmental disabilities are facing one of the worst staffing shortages they've seen in decades. In Missouri, more than 2,000 vacancies need to be filled. And until those jobs are filled, many providers have stopped taking on new clients or have shuttered services. More than 500 disabled Missourians are now waiting on services, and the list keeps growing. It's already doubled just since July. Eight months ago, Angie Williams of O'Fallon, Missouri, applied for a housing waiver for her daughter, who has autism. She's still waiting on a housing placement in independent supported living with paid caregivers. Angie Williams has four kids at home, including Maddie, who's 18. She appears to be a typical child or young adult, but um, then, you know, as you're around her longer, you'll see that she has, like, the mentality of, like, a toddler. Maddie needs one-on-one care. She needs help going to the bathroom, showering, and putting on her clothes. Angie stays home to take care of Maddie, but it's hard now that Maddie is older. Maddie weighs 40 pounds more than her mom. It's also a financial burden for Angie to stay at home. She needs to get back to work, but she says finding resources for Maddie is nearly impossible, even with the help of a caseworker. They, you know, reach out for resources for you, but it's never come to fruition. I mean, you ask for help and it's just simply not there. Now, why? I, I believe it's because um, because of financial reasons. I think that the money issue is at the root of the problem. As a parent, Angie is anxious about sending her child to a home. She worries about the quality of care. It's very scary because she is nonverbal, so she doesn't really have any form of communication. Um, she just leads you to everything she wants, and she doesn't, um, you know, she doesn't really know how to effectively communicate anything to anybody. So if someone were to harm her or do something, you know, I, I would never know. Now, more than anything, Angie wants Maddie to be happy and to live close by, so Angie can still be a presence in her daughter's life. But with no spots available, she and Maddie both remain in limbo. Angie has no choice but to hold out until a provider can take Maddie in. Usually when you're going through something, you try to find a solution and things get better. But with this, it just it just never gets better. It's just, it's a constant fight every single day. You know, everybody said, well, you know, you, you're such a strong mom. It's like, well, I know, but you don't really have any other choice. You have to keep fighting. 
And that is Angie Williams of O'Fallon, Missouri. Now, there's renewed hope within the direct care industry after Governor Mike Parson made a budget recommendation. He wants to raise the standard wage to $15 an hour for direct support professionals. Right now, the standard hourly rate for these workers in Missouri is $12.39 an hour. The proposal to raise those wages is now being debated in the legislature. Karen Mabins has worked in the industry for 30 years. Right now, she's working for Willow's Way. That's a residential service in St. Charles. And Karen has seen firsthand how a lack of competitive wages hurts the industry. Most providers are 100% Medicaid-funded, and the state determines how much funding they get and what rate they can pay employees. They're not paying me enough to do that. I've heard that before, but they're not paying me enough to do that. True. That's where your inner self kick in. Say, no, they're not paying. I couldn't possibly pay you enough in order for you to treat someone well, in order for you to have a kind heart and be considerate and be concerned. There's no dollar value on that. But you would like to be compensated for it to the best that you can. And Karen knows this field isn't for everyone. It's long hours and low pay. But still, she prays every day for patients, and she operates by the golden rule, treat everyone how you want to be treated. Here she is describing her typical day. If there's medication required, you know, we're making sure that uh, medicine is administered. I'm making sure that they're dressed nice, neat, and clean. My people are, they look good. You know, they look good. They smell good because this is what I wanted them to do. You know, we're having fun in the morning. We're singing in the car on the way to a workshop, day program, whatever. But the morning routine is, you know, personal hygiene care is taken care of. They're getting a nice meal. Uh, We're going to make sure if lunches are needed, where they're going, you know, they're packing their lunch, checking food. Um, It's a home. It's a home. And Karen Mabin said her clients deserve to be in independent living, not hospitals or institutions. We go outside the backyard and barbecue. We, you know, we cut grass. We're figuring out how to plant flowers in the front. You know, you get to see your neighbors. You know your neighbors. So this is very much needed. It just needs to be funded more. I don't know who who needs to sound the alarm and say how much of a precious entity this is. And Karen said her work is rewarding, but no doubt it's a sacrifice to be in this field, especially as fast food and retail workers are paid more than her, even as she's responsible for someone else's life. So with a staffing shortage, you have one person that may get burnt out, and then, you know, one person who cannot take a vacation because there's no coverage for those hours. You know, you can't take a vacation because, you know, I have to have a body here in the home. Um, So that trickles down to the family or your spouse. And when there's a choice where someone can say, well, I'll go and work at Target and get $17 an hour and I'll work my shift, you know, I work this day every day and that's it. Those are the those are the uh, options that people may have other than this field. Karen Mabins works six days a week. She's on call 24-7. And to make ends meet, she's worked overtime, overnights, holidays, weekends, you name it. For a lot of people, it leads to burnout. But for Karen, this job is still a blessing. This job will make you uh, have patience. This job will make you, uh, it should make you, understand and see 
your blessings, how you're blessed as far as in your health, your mind, um, your ability to do things for yourselves. When the simplest task, sometimes we can take the simplest task for granted and someone else, it's a really hard thing for them to accomplish. And that is Karen Mabins. She has worked in the direct care industry, assisting people with disabilities in residential settings for 30 years. And joining us now to explain more about these vexing staff shortages in this field is Joyce Steele. She is the CEO of Willow's Way. That's a program to support independent living for disabled people in St. Charles. Joyce Steele, welcome. Thank you for having me. So I understand Willow's Way houses 75 people. You also provide services for another 60 who are in their homes. How many staffers do you need to serve all those people? Um, For the 75 uh, individuals, that is for our residential program. So we have three different programs. We have a day program, we have a partial support program, and then we have our residential program. That's the program that Karen works in. Um, And gosh, it's so lovely to hear her. She's uh, she's just so amazing, such a huge asset for us. Um, So the 75 people in that program are the individuals who are getting care 24-7. Um, so that's every single day, every single day of the week. It never, ever closes. Um, and just in that program alone, we need approximately 175 people to serve. We could probably use more close to 200 to serve those 75 individuals just because of the 24-hour nature um, of the, the work that's involved. So, so, um, so are you short a number of workers at this point? <laughs> Um, I think short's an understatement. Um, You know, I think it's really important when you look at the staffing shortage um, is to put it in context and remember uh, or know that we were actually in a staffing shortage prior to COVID. Mm -hmm. So we were already experiencing an enormous staffing shortage because we have an aging population. We have fewer people entering the job market. Um, and you have more uh, you know, job availability for our labor pool like Amazon uh, and places like that. So we were already feeling an enormous crunch. Then we had the pandemic. So now it is a crisis on top of a crisis, which has reached a very critical, uh, a very critical point. At this point, we need, we have about a thousand open hours a week, which um, translates to about 25 full-time staff each week is what we need. So how how do you even deal with that? I mean, just that that (laughs) seems like a math problem that is unsolvable on your end. It is a massive problem. Um, I think there's several agencies that are using temporary agencies at a much higher cost, which is not sustainable based on our reimbursement rate. Um, to try to shore that up. For us, um, we are able to cover those hours internally, but it does mean that we are paying um, a lot in overtime. So we have approximately 1,300 hours of overtime every single week. Um, And that is because we have incredible staff like Karen, uh, who typically work 50, 60, 65 hours a week, every week, um, in order to make sure that we have staffing in our homes. Um, Because again, we're not an industry that can close. We can't mm-hmm. reduce our hours. Um, we can't just not have staff show up. We can't decide we're just not going to be open on Sundays. There's no way to really um, reduce what we need. We have to have somebody in there. Um, and so far, we're able to do that with the staff that we have, but it is reaching the point where we have to start making decisions that affect people like Angie and her daughter, Maddie, um, who are waiting for services because we don't have the availability anymore. We are struggling just to staff to the people that we have, let alone bring on anybody new. 
Um, and that's heartbreaking. Uh, it's heartbreaking to listen to her story and her struggle, um, you know, and, and to know that we could do it. We just, we could do it if we had enough funding to do it. And if we had the number of staff that we need to do it, we could, we could provide the services that are needed, um, but not, not as it stands right now. And in many industries, um, it seems like, okay, if we need to hire more people, we're just going to have to pay people more. Uh, you know, we'll just raise our rates. That's not an right. option for you. No, um, no, it sure isn't. And we did. I mean, this last year, we were very fortunate from the, um, the Missouri legislature that we did receive uh, a pretty sizable increase. And, you know, we are grateful for that. That allowed us to get to... Um, you know, a more substantial living wage. We did increase wages by 20%. We added a whole benefit package of tuition reimbursement, all sorts of things to try to incentivize people to come uh, and work in this industry and to specifically work for us. Um, but that has not been enough, um, and we're not done yet, and we need um, substantially more. We can't, we rely on the state who relies on the federal government because it's all Medicaid funded. Uh, in order to support our programs. We can't raise our rates. We rely on the rates established by the state for us. So we can't raise the price of our hamburger. We can't raise the price of our service or raise the price of our products um, like other industries can. Um, and so, you know, when you're a nonprofit and you're, you're dependent on government funding, your hands are really very tied uh, in that regard. We know, we thought that getting to closer to $15 an hour was going to be the magic number, um, and it has not been so far. Um, we're not seeing people come, um, you know, through our doors in, in large numbers. We're seeing a lot of people um, set up interviews and then not show up. About 60% of them don't even co come to the interviews. Um, so we're not getting people through the door. I don't think that we've reached that magic wage. Um, and I think it probably hovers more towards 17, 18, maybe $20 an hour and not um, 12, 13, 14 an hour. And um, 17, $18 an hour, that's something that you could not make pencil out based on current reimbursement rates. Oh, no, 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 no. Our current re reimbursement rate from the state funds us at a level where we should be paying $12.39 to our staff. So you've already gone beyond what the state Correct. is reimbursing. That's exactly right. And it's so we still are not solving this problem. No, we went to 15. Once we got to 1240, we, we do the rest, and that's done through fundraising. Um, in our, in our um, agency, we do it a lot through uh, efficiency, so we have very lean administrative costs. Um, you know, we do, do that in a variety of ways, but we supplement the difference. Not only do we supplement the difference to get from 12, let's say 40, to 15, but we have to supplement the difference for the 300 to $400,000 we have in overtime every year, too. So we supplement all of that um, to get to 15 because there's no way we could hire anyone if we were at 1240. Um, and we really, I thought that in July, I thought bringing it to 15 was really going to make a difference, but it honestly, um, it hasn't. Um, and we are seeing every month, over month, over month, our open hours increase, our overtime increase. It isn't getting better, it's getting exponentially worse. We do need to take a quick break here, but we'll be back shortly to continue this conversation with Joy. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio.
Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association. Missouri produces wood pallets, railroad ties, white oak barrels, hardwood floors, and more. Details on the variety of products made in the state are at ChooseWood.com. Welcome back. We're talking about the serious staffing shortages that are affecting people in the direct care industry. They provide services for people who are disabled, often in their own home, uh, sometimes in independent living situations. And uh, the state basically is responsible for how much they can charge per hour because it sets a reimbursement rate. That reimbursement rate is currently $12.39 an hour. Our guest today is Joy Steele. She's the CEO of Willow's Way. That's a program to support independent living for disabled people in St. Charles. Just before the break, uh, Joy was telling us this is just not enough where this rate is currently set. Now, we should note uh, Missouri Governor Mike Parson recommended spending $375 million in the 2023 fiscal year budget, which starts in July, this would enable all providers to pay their employees $15 an hour as a baseline, which Willow's Way is already doing. Jessica Bax, who's the Director of Developmental Disabilities for Missouri's Department of Mental Health, said as it stands today, $12.39 an hour is clearly not enough to attract new hires in this field. Well, our producer Kayla Drake asked her, is $15 even enough? This is a tough question because we know that um, the market is is very competitive right now for labor. Um, we feel like this is a significant increase in investment beyond what is being included in the rates today, and we hope that it has a significant impact on the access to care. And that is Jessica Bax of Missouri's Department of Mental Health. You know, uh, Joy Steele, one of the things that we've heard from some legislators in rural Missouri is that these rates, they don't necessarily have to be at $15 in rural Missouri, but you're dependent on the rate the state sets. You're in the metro St. Louis area. It seems like this is not going to cut it, even getting it to 15 yeah, that's right. And, you know, I honestly think even in rural areas, it probably does need to be close to 15. I mean, they have they have other employers as well, and they have other issues, um, geographic issues that that plague them. So they're not they're not um, flush with staff. And, you know, I, I don't know that there's that big of a discrepancy between what's needed in outstate and rural areas versus urban. What I do know is that I have, you know, an Amazon um, facility right down the street from me that is pulling staff away. Um, and, you know, I, I have to be competitive and I can't be competitive at $15 an hour. Um, this is, you know, I think Karen um, sort of summed up what a, what a direct support professional does, but it really goes much beyond even what she described. So we have individuals who are on feeding tubes and uh, individuals who are on hospice, folks that might have some behavioral challenges. Um, or fragile medical situations. So they're really doing a lot. It is healthcare primarily. They're doing an enormous amount and have a, a, an enormous amount of responsibility. Um, and, and, and you can't hire just anybody for these correct. jobs. I mean, these are jobs where, where somebody's life is at stake. 
That's exactly right. So we go through a two-week, all of our employees go through a two-week training period where they do med um, certification and CPR and all of those sorts of things. It isn't like we can hire them and they can hit the ground running the next day. Mm. Um, You know, there's a lot of intense training that goes along with all of serving all of our clients and their specific needs. Um, so, you know, that's an investment as well. And we have so many that, you know, get through training and may not stick. All of that is not reimbursed by the state. So those are, again, additional expenses that the agencies face um, in addition to the overtime and, you know, shoring up the wage to 15. Yeah, and it, it so, is important to mention that turnover, right? We have some statistics on this. In 2019, <laughs> the industry had a 50% turnover, right? 20% of workers left within the first six months of starting. And Jessica Bax, the Director of Developmental Disabilities for the Missouri Department of Mental Health, she said she knows the pandemic is making those numbers um, even worse. They don't have updated statistics. But, but those are some jarring numbers. And that I think is is one reason that we have this wait list. The state now has a wait list with more than 500 people on it. I want to go to the phone lines here. And again, these 500 people, they are waiting for services. Uh, Julie is calling from Baldwin. Uh, Julie, hi, you're on St. Louis on the Air. Hi, um, I have a daughter who has developmental disabilities. She's 20, almost 21. Um, My husband passed away um, in 2020. And we got her um, on the wait list for residential services. She was approved about a year ago, but we are still looking for a placement. I've talked with multiple different agencies, and we just can't find any place where she can go. And there are, um, you know, definitely some safety concerns having her in the house with me alone. Julie, I am so sorry to hear that's been your experience. That has got to be so frustrating. Joy, just hearing that, I'm sure this is hard for you to hear because you want to be able to help people like Julie. It's terribly hard to hear. I, I, I have to tell you that listening to both Julie and to Angie, it is heartbreaking knowing that there are agencies who can do it. We can do that. We can help your your kids um, and we can provide them safe um you know, excellent care, we can do that. That's what we are designed to do, but we just don't have the staff to be able to do it. Um, Not right now. And I know having worked with families so intimately, how challenging it is to keep them at home, especially when those kiddos graduate from high school and there's no other um, you know, there's no other plan for them. And so the resources really dry up when they become adults. And that's where Willow's Way steps in normally. Um, you know, normally we, we absolutely could take on new clients, um, but if we can't staff it, then we can't agree to take on clients that, you know, that we can't assure their health and safety. Okay. Um, yeah, that's, uh, I totally understand. You can't take on more people than you can take no. care of. Julie, thank you for sharing that experience. We wish you and, and your daughter both the best. Going to go back to the phone lines. John is calling from St. Louis. Uh, John, hi, you're on St. Louis on the Air. Yeah, hi. I, I work with a, a residential facility similar to uh, Willow's Way. Um, I'm a I'm a house supervisor, and and I I, I was also c- agreeing with uh, Joy and Karen about the staffing problems. Um, um, even the uh, the supervisors and the directors and the vice presidents of the the agency that I'm working at have had to fill in in, in some of these uh, open positions. Wow. So like top and, top yeah. executives are almost like taking right. these on the the ground um, positions. Right. Yeah, and and we we've been looking for incentives and and plans that, that would bring people in, even though you know offering a bonus uh, 
when they start. Um, a couple people have actually started, took the bonus, uh, the, half the bonus for getting hired, and then quit for the mm. week after that. Uh, oh, John, that, that must be so frustrating. It, it's just a challenging work. They, they get in here and they say, oh, I wasn't expecting this much medical need and, and stuff. Uh, well, John, thank you for sharing uh, that experience. And, and Joy, I think a lot of this does go back to what you were saying. These are very difficult jobs. Do you find sometimes that, that new hires or people who agree to interviews and then, as you say, don't show up, they start realizing just all that's in- entailed? Yes, absolutely. Um, and I am, um, like the agency where John works, I have done direct support as well, especially over the, the pandemic. I actually started as a, a DSP back in the day. Um, so it's actually where my heart lies. So I've worked those shifts as well. And it is hard. It is very hard. Um, and, you know, it, it takes a, a really high level of autonomy um, and to be able to make decisions and handle challenging situations on your own. Um, And, you know, I get frustrated because, you know, our industry oftentimes gets compared to, well, the minimum wage is 11, 11, 14 or 11, 15 in the state of Missouri. We shouldn't be comparing what our direct support professionals do to minimum wage. We need to be at least at one and a half times that given the level of, um, you know, a level of skills that, that our folks need, we need to be compensating them for those skills and, and for those experiences and for their level of responsibility. And that is what is missing. Um, I think we just oftentimes, you know, they're, they're low paying, in quotes, um, positions and oftentimes get tied to minimum wage. They shouldn't be. Yeah, I um, think that that's an excellent point. And, you know, Karen Maybens, who's a Willow's Way worker that we heard from earlier, she also had some thoughts about how this isn't something just anyone can do. I want my staff to know who we're working with, know what the requirement of that person is and what it is that you need to do to provide the best service and the best care for them. And and it just may be sitting and listening to them, listening to them breathing, looking in their eyes, looking at their feet. You know, I know what color he likes. I know what he does not like to eat. That's what we do in these homes. And you cannot replace that. And that is Karen Mabins. You know, hearing Karen talk about this job, I understand just how hard it must be. But I also understand that it, it must be rewarding in a way that maybe some minimum wage jobs aren't. You said you you came up through the system. You did this work yourself. Did you see did. that and, and, and feel that yourself? Oh, absolutely. I mean, it has been um, undoubtedly you know, the, the best part of my career has been working with, uh, with folks with intellectual and developmental disabilities. It, and working back in the homes and being um, one-on-one with them is so amazing. I mean, you really are, as a DSP, the, one of the most important people in their lives. Um, and you develop these incredible bonds with them and with their, their families as well. And it's hugely rewarding. It shouldn't have the trade-off of having to be a financial sacrifice mm-hmm. as well. Um, it needs to be rewarding on both ends, both financially and emotionally. And that's what we're really hoping that in this legislature, uh, in this legislative session, that we're going we're gonna to see another big increase and hopefully um, be able to get this to a point where we're able to pay a wage that um, people can really live on and not have to work two jobs or be on public assistance um, or things of that nature. So... So it's I, a really rewarding position. If you give it a shot, um, I think you'll fall in love with it. 
So our producer learned of some um, uh, some direct service providers and, and residences where they're actually closing down because they just can't find enough people. Are you worried that if the legislature doesn't do this, that we're going to see more of that, that not just that that waiting list is going to grow, but people who currently have services are going to end up on it? Oh, absolutely. Um, I think what's happening now is a lot of agencies, um, you know, if somebody leaves services for whatever reason, they are filling those vacancies with other people within their own program instead of accepting people off the waiting list. And so you're seeing the services shrink, um, not necessarily be eliminated, but definitely shrink, and you're not seeing expansion. Well, that only that only works for so long. Um, Otherwise, people are going to languish on these waiting lists for years. Uh, We don't want to get into a situation, nor can we, where we want to do congregate living again. Um, These are, you know, individual supported living situations, and that's the way that it needs to be and should be. Um, But, you know, you need a lot of staff to be able to maintain that framework. Um, And I know that there are other states that are calling in National Guard to be able to um, support their clients. We haven't reached that point yet, but I can't say that it's not um, within within our reach to be able to be at that point. Wow. Well, Joy Steele, I want to thank you so much for joining us today and and giving us this insight into where we're at and why. Oh, thank you so much for having me and thank you for shining a light on this issue. Joy is the CEO of Willow's Way. Again, that's a program in St. Charles that supports independent living for disabled people. And we will be keeping an eye on how the legislature responds to Governor Parson's budget recommendation to raise that standard reimbursement to $15 an hour. You can stay up to date on our reporting at stlpr.org. And if you're interested in getting into this field yourself, we should also mention Willow's Way is currently offering walk-in interviews Tuesday through Thursday, 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. Stop by. Maybe this, this is a career that could be right for you. This episode was produced by Kayla Drake with audio engineering and podcast design by Aaron Dorr. Our executive producer is Alex Hoyer. St. Louis on the Air is a production of St. Louis Public Radio. Understanding starts here. If you learned something new from today's episode, consider leaving us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts on the App Store. It's the easiest way to help people discover our show. We appreciate it. Thank you. St. Louis Public Radio is a member-supported service of the University of Missouri-St. Louis. Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association, committed to conservation and careful management of the state's forests to make them more resilient and better habitats for wildlife. Choosewood.com.